2019, I had a, uh, a bit of a heartbreak. I was having a great year, and then May rolled along. And what broke my heart wasn't my wife. It wasn't a situation. It was Game of Thrones Season 8. You see, I was a big Game of Thrones fan. And we were so hyped because it was the series finale. Years and years of character development, of plot development. We're hoping some things will pay off. We're wishing for some things. And so in our minds, we were hyping up this finale And we were so excited. Remember, we got in uh, Justin's little apartment in the mission. It was hot in there. It's like 30 of us crammed. We made like Game of Thrones inspired snacks. We were so hyped to watch the finale. And when we watched it, all of our hearts began to break minute by minute. Jon Snow did not ascend the Iron Throne. Arya had a really written off story. It was a sad moment. Why? Because we were expecting something and the payoff, the reality of the TV show ended up disappointing us. Now I want to ask you today, have you ever been hit with the reality check? A time where you were so disappointed because something didn't quite turn out the way that you expected it to. A date you were really looking forward to ended up bombing, right? A company you were really excited to work for ended up letting you down. Event you were planning turned out way different than you imagined it in your head. A church you started attending and started coming to because you saw our Instagram. You show up and you realize that people are a lot more messed up than it seems like on Instagram, right? Reality often comes crashing like a wrecking ball, like Miley Cyrus says, into our lives, leaving our dreams, Our ideals, our expectations, a pile of dust on the floor. In other words, disappointment is a very normal human experience, one that we're familiar with all too well. Today, I want to start by reading a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was an amazing German theologian who, during the time of Nazi Germany, Hitler's reign, was leading an underground movement to try to assassinate Hitler. And he actually was um, pastoring this underground church of uh, people who were really contending for a change in their country. And this is what he writes about Christian community in his book, Life Together. Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself, become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. God hates this wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Those who dream of this idolized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands set up by their own law and judge one another and God accordingly. It's not we who build, Christ builds the church. And this last sentence, Christian community is not an ideal we have to realize, but rather a reality created by God and Christ in which we may participate. Woo! Isn't that good? See, one of the greatest hindrances to enjoying our jobs, I find, is the idea or the dream of an ideal job. One of the things that hinder us from enjoying our relationships is the dream of an ideal relationship. One of the things that hinders us from enjoying Christian community is the dream of an ideal church. In other words, our dreams and our ideals can get in the way of us enjoying the very things that are right in front of us. I find that sometimes what ruins our experience of church are our unrealistic expectations of church. 
when we don't learn how to balance the tension between dream and reality, between ideals and reality. We're robbed of the life and the joy of the communities that we find ourselves in. Another way to put it, idealizing the church often leads to idolizing the church, right? We begin demanding that the church is made into the image that we dream of, that we want, rather than embracing it as the church that God created it to be. Once again, Bonhoeffer, Christian community is not an ideal we have to realize, but rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. And until we accept this truth, we'll never be able to fully enjoy the gift of the community that God gives us in each season of our lives. And so the challenge then becomes... How do we embrace the reality of the community before us over our dream of the community, over what we want from the community, over our expectations and our ideals for the community? And so that's what we're going to dive into today. Come on, look to your neighbor and say, we're building something here. All right, let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you come in this place? God, a lot of us, we have dreams, we have ideals, we have expectations for what your body should look like, for what church should look like, for what 99 should look like. And having those dreams aren't bad. But I pray today that we wouldn't be the type of people that, that are hindered by those dreams and ideals and expectations, that we would be ones that know how to embrace the community as it is while aspiring to be more. And so we love you, we welcome you, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're just going to spend the rest of our time talking about a few ways that we tend to idealize the church and the proper response that God actually calls us to through scripture. The first one is this. We idealize the church when we hold the community to our impossible standards. Many years ago, we had a church member, none of you know this person, came in through our doors and they were so hyped for our community. They were so hyped for our church. Every service after Sunday came up to me, Pastor Mickey, that was the best worship experience that I've ever had. That sermon was on fire. This is the best community. Everyone's so real. My last church, my last church, everyone was so phony. Everyone was fake. But everyone here, they smile at me and they mean it. People ask how you're doing and they really care. This is a perfect house of God. This is the place where I'm meant to be. I want to serve. I want to give my entire life to this community. And I was listening. I was like, oh, cool, cool, cool. Every week he would do this. Six months later, dude disappeared. I have not seen this person since that day. And what, what tells me what, what happens sometimes I'm always weary of people that come into our church thinking that we don't have any problems, that we're somehow different from all the other churches they've been to that have issues and drama. Why? Because it's an illusion or shallow glimpse at best. How many of you know that hype never lasts? Stick around long enough and we will hurt you. And I'm so sick of the churches that have the, you belong here, welcome home signs. We will never have those. We're going to create signs that say, hey, welcome to 99. We will hurt you. Welcome to 99. Pain guaranteed, right? We got to be real. No house is perfect. There is no church that is drama free. Stick around long enough and we will disappoint you. We might not disappoint you the way your previous church disappointed you, but we will find another way. Trust me. It's just what we do. Why? Because a church as beautiful as it is, is ultimately it's people and people are just messed up. We hurt each other. We mess up. We're weak. We often fall short. 
The church is many beautiful and wonderful things, but one thing it's not is perfect. No church is drama-free or pain-free. No church is void of conflict or failure or disappointment. This is why Paul says in Colossians 3.12, as he's addressing the church, he says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, all good so far. But check this out. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in, in perfect unity. I love that he says, bear with each other. What does bearing with someone mean? It's not like me and Josh, we go to the movie theater and we, we're like, we love being around each other. For Ty and I, we did a pizza crawl on Friday. We had so much fun. We enjoy each other's company. No, bearing with someone is like when I'm going on a road trip with Ying and he cannot stop putting on that Hillsong album that I cannot stand. And I'm bearing with him, right? Bearing someone is, is you're barely tolerating them. You're doing it out of love, even though you might not enjoy that experience. By the way, Ying, I would love to go on a road trip with you. That was just an example that I made up. He's not mincing words here. He's saying there will be times where you won't be excited to be around one another and you have to learn to bear with each other. Come on, look to your neighbor and say, I'm going to bear with you. He's saying there will be times where you'll hurt one another and you have to learn to forgive each other. Check this out. Paul wouldn't exhort Colossian church to clothe themselves with compassion and kindness and patience if he didn't think that they would treat each other selfishly, impatiently, and harshly. He knew that when people get together, stuff goes down. And that we would have to learn to bear with one another despite how we, how we fail each other's standards and are imperfect. And the question I want to ask you is this. Are you holding the community that you're a part of to a standard that they can never live up to? In other words, are you hoping for something that can never quite be attained while we're here on this earth? Hear me, church. You know, as a pastor, as your pastor, I can't promise you that I'll never hurt you. I can't promise you that I'll never disappoint you. I can't promise you I'll never offend you. I can't promise you I'll always say something that you like or that you'll always agree with me. But what I can promise you is this, that when, not if, but when I hurt you, I will humble myself, apologize, and own my mistakes. That when I let you down, I will own my shortcomings and try to do better. See, so many people get it twisted that the standard for Christian living is perfection. No, the standard for Christian living is not perfection. It's righteousness. And righteousness is defined by the psalmist as for the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. In other words, righteousness isn't defined by perfection. It's defined by our ability to get back up again and again and again. That when I hurt you, I get back up. I make it right. That when I let you down, I get back up and I try again. If at first you don't succeed. If you're a millennial, you know what I'm talking about. If not, you're too young. Okay. Righteousness is what defines a community, not perfection. At the end, he says, put on love which binds all together in perfect unity. In other words, unity doesn't just happen. It's bound, it's created, it's fostered by love. 
a love that covers over a multitude of sins and weaknesses, a love that covers our brokenness and our shortcomings. Hear me, church. Love embraces people as they are, not as we want them to be. Love says, I embrace you regardless of if you meet my standards, if you meet my expectations or not. And in order to love, we have to release people from our impossible standards and accept them as they all are, warts and all. And it doesn't mean that we stop holding people to who God's created them to be. It doesn't mean we stop keeping people accountable. It simply means even when they're acting beneath their God-given identity, we love them the same. I am, um, as I was preparing this message, I kept hearing the Lord say, tell the people, love the hell out of people, literally. Like, love the shame out of people. Love the fear out of people. Love the brokenness out of people. Love the insecurities out of people. Love the hell out of people. Don't wait for them to change before you love them. Don't wait for them to grow up before you embrace them. Love them until they can't help but heal and grow. Love the hell out of them, literally, by God. Just kidding. That was from me. And the question I want to ask, are you holding the community to a standard they can never live up to? Are your standards for the community keeping you from loving and embracing the community as it is? Now, we're gonna, we'll talk later about what those standards, what, what we were, we're trying to foster. We're trying to aspire to becoming something more. But the base level is a love and an embrace that is not based on our standards. Second point. We idealize the church when we hold the community to our unrealistic expectations. You know, sometimes we're married to our own idea of what church should be or look like, aren't we? Like, the worship team should sing one fast song and two slow songs at the most. Three, just too much. Repeat the bridge only four times. Six times, Jacob, that's way too much. It's not my style. The preacher should use this many scripture verses every sermon. The people should all ascribe to these set of theological beliefs. The church should be doing this outreach or supporting this cause, right? Sometimes we're married to our idea of what church should be. And oftentimes our personal dreams and expectations for the community end up imprisoning us with frustration, right? We show up to church and we only notice what's not happening, right? What they're not doing. We become critics instead of participants. And this ultimately isolates us from the community. We're judging everyone based on our expectations and our dreams and our ideals. Now, what we're not saying is don't dream, right? There is nothing wrong with dreaming for a better church, dreaming for a more successful workplace, dreaming for a healthier family, dreaming for an amazing husband or a wife. Dream that our community will grow. Dream that our community will become more spiritually mature. Dream that worship team will one day sound exactly like Mav City. Dream that Pastor Mickey will teach biblically sound doctrine, right? Dreaming is okay, but do you love your dream of the community more than the actual community itself? Are your expectations for the community keeping you from embracing the community as it is in love? You see, when your dreams and expectations keep you from enjoying the people that are right there in front of you, something needs to change. Now, you don't have to look around to notice that there are a lot of Asian Americans in our church when Krista and I planted, this is our second church that we're planning. We, we said, God, 
don't, we don't want to pastor an Asian church. Like, bring the diversity. Bring the multi-ethnicity. And we're praying and praying. And as intentional as we be, for some reason, maybe because our faces are plastered to the brand, Asian people just love coming to our church. And for the longest time, I'm not going to lie to you, church. I love my Asian brothers and sisters. I was at the Chusuk Festival yesterday. right? I love our culture. I love our people. Don't get me wrong. But my dream was that we would have diversity in our congregation. And it's still a dream of mine, still something that I want to work towards, that I want to foster here in this place. But you know what? It wasn't the community that God put before me. And so there came a point where I had say, God, this is my dream and I'm still going to hold on to it. But if it's hindering me from bragging about our church, if it's hindering me for, for being hyped about what God's doing here in this house, then I'm going to lay it down. I'm going to surrender it to you. It doesn't mean I stop aspiring to see my dream realized. It simply means I'm not going to let it get in the way of loving the people that are right here in front of me until that dream comes to pass. Yes, dream. But hold those dreams loosely. If they hinder you from loving the community, surrender them to God. If they keep you from enjoying the people as they are, lay them at the feet of Jesus. And you know what? Now when I go to these pastoral conferences and, you know, it's it's like 90% white pastors in the room and I'm maybe like one of five Asian guys, I'm proud. I say, you know what? Our church is majority Asian American. And we got some black folks and we got some different, we got people from different walks of life. But you know what? I'm proud. I am proud that we are Asian American. There are many Asian Americans in our house and it's the house that God brought us. And we're okay with that. We're still dreaming for more, but it's not going to hinder us from loving what God has put right in front of us. You see, the beautiful thing is this. Oftentimes the pain points that you feel Not me. The pain points that you feel in a community are the very areas where God is calling you to become a catalyst for change. If you're aching for more justice, maybe God is calling you to be the catalyst in your community. If you're aching for deeper connections, maybe God is calling you to be the catalyst in your community. See, oftentimes the the pain points that we feel in a community are the very ministries that God calls us to embrace as our own, to see the dreams and the changes that we're longing for. Isaiah 55, 9, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, more important than our dream of the community is God's dream of the community. His ways are higher, better, faster, stronger. Maybe we need to stop asking God, here's my dream for 99. What is my dream for 99? Maybe we need to start asking God, what is, what is your dream for 99? What is your dream for our church? What is your dream for our community? How can I get a glimpse of that? And how can I participate in you releasing your dream over our house? The question is, do you love your dream of the community more than the actual community itself? Are your expectations for the community keeping you from embracing the community in love? That was also my plug for us to really pray for more diversity in this house. By the way, I am still believing for that. That is still the dream of my heart. So pray with me. We got to do it, y'all. We're going to do it, right? Yeah, I see it. Number three, we idealize the church when we compare the community to previous churches we've been a part of. You know, we've had a lot of people come to 99 who come from really painful, traumatic church experiences. But we've also had a lot of people come to our church who came from like really amazing churches in the past. 
And oftentimes um, we struggle with comparing our previous church experience to our church experience right now, right? The worship team at my last church, they sounded just like Hillsong, y'all. But the worship team here at 99, they don't even have an electric guitarist or a bassist. It makes me cry every time I come on Sunday. My pastor had a doctorate at the last church I was at. Pastor Mickey barely has a master in theological studies, right? The community I used to be a part of was so loving and caring. This community got some work to do. There was someone that used to go to our church um, many, many years ago, not this church, not 99, but that was a part of my community where every time they would uh, like give a compliment about what we're doing, like worship was so good today. You know, my last church, we had worship nights and God moved the exact same way, maybe a little bit more, right? <laughs> he didn't say that, but he might as well, might as well have said that, right? I love today's fellowship. It was so fun. People were connecting. My last church, we used to do this twice a week, right? And, and they would just be, they weren't trying to up our, our, our experience, but they just, for some reason, their, their experience in the past was coloring their experience in the present. On the flip side, we've also had people who moved on from 99 uh, who struggle to find new communities to be a part of, right? Our hearts empathize with them because we know how difficult it is to find a brand new home. We know how much they loved our tiny little band of rebels and runaways. We have some visiting like Jay and Jasmine and Sam who haven't been here for a minute, who are in different cities, right? It's hard to move to a new place and find a new community. And one of the challenges as we talk to these people that they shared is this tendency to compare their new church to our church. And I'm like, bro, you barely even liked it when you were here. How are you like, why do you love us now? And you know, my new church is okay, but it was nothing like 99 was. The people are nice here at my new place, but they weren't as tight knit as y'all were. Listen, we're only tight knit because there's only like 30 people in our church. Okay. That's not a testament to who we are. Listen, my new pastors are cool, but they weren't, they weren't brilliant or caring, or as amazing, or as gifted, or as cool as you were, Pastor Mickey, word for word, those were quotations. They don't wear Yeezy slides like they, you do, Pastor Mickey, right? And they had struggled because they, they struggled comparing their previous church experience to their current church experience. Hear me, church, comparison robs us of joy. It blinds us from the beauty of what's right before us. It keeps us from enjoying the present. One of the prophets of our time, Big Sean, says, but the grass ain't always greener on the other side. It's green where you water it. And we've all heard it said. He didn't come up with it. He just put it in a dope song, right? See, when we're stuck comparing our past church experience to our present, it keeps us from experiencing what God has for us right here, right now. It keeps us from enjoying the community right before us. It locks us out of the treasures that God has hidden within this season. What's interesting is we often remember things a lot more fondly than they actually were when we were living through them, don't we? right? Nostalgia is an illusion. You ever watch a movie that when you think back on it, you thought that was an epic masterpiece. And then you watch it in your adulthood. You're like, God, this is garbage. Hot take, do not crucify me. But that's how I felt about Space Jam, right? I love Space Jam growing up. I love the original Space Jam. Michael Jordan was amazing. I watched it again a few years ago. I was like, it's not that good. In fact, it's not great at all. I don't know. That might be a hot take, right? 
I find that most of us, we never notice we're in the good times or the best times when we're actually going through them, right? It's, it's often after the fact. What if the season you're in right now becomes the season that you will remember most fondly in your life? What if the community that's right before you right now is actually the people that you remember as the family that you've always longed for? What if we could learn to appreciate the present while we're actually here instead of after the fact? It requires us to stop idealizing the past in order to enjoy the present. Now, Ezra 310 through 13, it's a story about the, the remnants and the exiles coming back into the Holy Land and they're rebuilding the temple. And this is where it goes. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets and the Levites, the son of Aesop, with symbols, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid. While many others shouted for joy, no one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. Right, people, they're celebrating the building of this new temple. They're singing, they're shouting for joy. It is the party of the century. Everyone was enjoying the moment, what God was doing right there and then, except the people who had seen the former temple, right? Everyone else is partying, but the people who had seen the former temple, they're in the, the corner and they're sulking and they're weeping. It's like, it's like as if Jerry, right? We're all celebrating. We love the Verdi Club and Jerry's off in the corner. He's like, I miss the farm. I miss that tiny space with all the spider webs in the corner and that nasty, nasty bathroom. I miss it, right? It's like we, we remember the former thing and it keeps us from enjoying the present thing. They're weeping for the former things when the new thing was right in front of them. Hear me, church. 99. I don't want us to be a people who miss out on what God is doing right now because we can't let go of what God did back then. I don't want us to miss out on how God is moving today because we're stuck on how God moved yesterday. There is beauty in the present moment, in your current workplace, in your current relationships, in your current community. And it's not a question of, is God on the move? It's, are you open to seeing it? Right? The psalmist said, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Psalm 118, this is the day that the Lord has made. Not yesterday, not tomorrow. This is the day. Not back in the day when I had everything together. Not back in the day when I was in my prime. Not tomorrow when I find my husband or my wife. Not next season where I receive my breakthrough. Today is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Why? He is here, right here, right now and I don't want to miss it. We can't let the past, as beautiful and as amazing as it was, hinder us from enjoying and tapping into what God has for us right now in the present. Yes, we can remember the past fondly. We can enjoy the memories we made. But when we're constantly comparing everything to the past, we're missing out on what God has for us right here, right now. So my final question, are you constantly comparing 
your current church experience with a previous church experience? And is your comparing keeping you from enjoying the church and the community that's before you today? Is your, is your past experience keeping you from tapping into all the treasures that God has for you right now? And so as we close, I want us to reflect on those three things. Are there impossible standards that you're holding the community to? Are there unrealistic expectations that you're holding the community to? Are you comparing our current church with a previous experience? And none of those things are bad in in and of themselves, but are they keeping you from actually loving the people that God has sent you right here, right now? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in another quote, he says, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community, but the person who loves those around them will create community. So today, I want to invite you into a time of response. Why don't we close our eyes as we go to God in prayer with these things? Will you be a destroyer of community because of the dreams and the ideals that you can't seem to let go of? Or will you be those that that create community because you choose to love people around you regardless of if they meet your standards, regardless of if they match your expectations, regardless of if they fulfill your dreams? The question I want to ask you today is this. Are there standards and dreams or expectations or comparisons that you need to surrender to God today? Are there things, longings, desires, ideals that you've been holding on to that's actually been a hindrance to your love and enjoyment of this community? And are you willing to surrender those things to God to say, this might not be the community I would have chosen, but I still say yes. When I look at the disciples that Jesus chose, I don't think that Jesus was looking at those disciples and saying, on paper, if I had, you know, if I got all the stat sheets out for every human being that could have been my disciple, this is the team I would have chosen. But regardless of if they matched his ideals, if they were up to par, he said, these are the ones that I choose. These are the ones that I walk with. These guys who fight over one another to be number one by my side. These guys who fall asleep when they're supposed to be praying for me in my darkest hour. These guys who are full of pride, who are full of arrogance. These guys who are faithless, who don't believe even right after seeing a miracle. These guys who abandoned me at the cross. These guys who denied me. These guys are the ones that I choose to love. What if we can love that way? And say, God, hey, I'm here at 99, and it's not what I expected it to be. It's not what I dreamed of a church. It's not what I expected, or these aren't the ideals or standards that that I wanted. But you brought me here for a reason. And as long as I'm here, today is the day. I will love this community. I will embrace this community. God, I surrender to you my dreams, my ideals so that I can love this community well, so that I can enjoy everything you have for me. So God, as we're doing this, I pray that you would begin speaking to our hearts. You know, maybe this is only speaking to one person today. I don't, it doesn't matter, God. We want to be a community that puts each other above our own dreams and ideals. Let us be a people that love 
and embrace one another even when they don't meet what we want them to be. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill this place with love. Let this be a place where your embrace, where your presence dwells. And the last thing I want to pray for, I, while we are called to lay down our dreams to love one another, I believe there are dreams here in this house that God is calling us to put in the right place. Dreams that God has put specifically on our hearts for this community that actually match to his dream for our house. And God's saying, listen, I'm not telling you to throw that dream away. But if you would love the people here, I will create pathways for that dream to be realized. If you would choose the people above your dreams, I will make that dream come to pass. And I just feel like there are dreams that we have that we need to continue contending for, continue praying for, continue sharing with our leadership because those dreams aren't just your dreams. They're dreams of the Father's heart. And so God, we, we simultaneously choose love and we hold on to these dreams. We place them in the right order. We place them in the right priority. So God, would you continue moving within us? We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.